Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Well, Larry Hughes is going to pop out and get the ball. Jordan's going to rub his man off of Leitner and then cut down the center and gets a nice pass from Larry Hughes. Football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are in full swing, and the only place you should be betting on these sports is at betonline.ag. Like the guy who drops 10 grand on the Wizards to win the NBA championship. If you wanted to do something similar, it could net you millions of dollars. BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV, in case you're interested in betting on The Bachelor. BetOnline has hundreds of prop bets with real-time odds on almost anything you can imagine. And of course, there's the 24-hour online casino. So head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Okay, welcome into this week's Believe in Wizards. Finally got some some good news to talk about with everybody here. The, uh, the Wizards are winners of four straight, which is the first time that's happened in three years, which sounds like a pretty long time to have not had a four-game win streak. I'd be curious how many three-in-one stretches there were during that time. Uh, before we start, let's just get the contest winner out of the way because I messed that up last week. So uh, Sean Wayland, W-E-H-L-E-N-D. Uh, Sean, let's tag up after this and we'll uh, mail you your signed Bradley Beal autograph picture and, and we'll make sure to do some other stuff like that throughout the year too. Uh, so so keep listening and keep checking in for that. Uh, Larry, we we have a winning team to root for. Not winning overall, but winning recently. Uh, won six of their last 10. We've been talking about 500, uh, but hey, I'll, I'll take six and four. Uh, what have you seen that you liked over the last week plus? I think the intensity, uh, the intensity level on, on both ends of the court. I think it, it's still, you know, it's still kind of spotty. You still have some guys, you know, kind of not, you know, at, at full strength or you have a, a few guys out. But I think the the attention to playing harder and smarter is is has been pretty good these last couple of games. And you never want to coach that other locker room or dig into that other locker room to figure out, you know, what's going on, if they're missing guys. So this is the season when you try to figure out how do you write your ship? And I think that that's what these guys are doing. Um, they've been able to, to go, you know, in the last 10 games, go two games over 500. And if you look at, you know, the standings of things of that nature. I mean, if you keep that track going, I mean, you give yourself a shot to, to look at the player situation. And I think that with 25, 30 games, I think that's a realistic approach uh, that these guys can start to take now. I think they're like four games out of the four or five seed. Like it, it really isn't a lot of separation here. And I guess maybe a lifetime of being a Wizards fan. I sometimes try to look for the, the pessimistic side of things. And I'm like, well, you know, uh, Houston had a lot of guys out, you know, blah, blah. There's a lot of guys out for Portland, but those teams didn't care when they got wins against the Wizards when we had guys out. So, uh, you know, you can't throw caveats on things like that. You can only beat the guys you have. Uh, I think the way they've been doing it, though, um, you know, you've said repeatedly, the, these these guys can't win by just outscoring everyone. If they're going to win, they're going to have to play defense. And uh, Chase Hughes of NBC recently tweeted, uh, over the last 10 games, the Wizards have the sixth best defensive rating in the league, fifth lowest opponent field goal percentage, ninth most turnovers forced, 10th most steals, fifth fewest opponents fast break points. And yeah, I mean, that that kind of says it all. It just, they've they've ratcheted it up and that's leading to wins. Like what a concept, right? Yeah, yeah. I think the league is built around scoring. So you're, not, you're never going to stop these guys from scoring the basketball. It's at the clip of... of you know, the momentum swings and like we talked about earlier, our body language that fuels the other team's aggressiveness when they see someone hang their head down. 
So you got to get away from that kind of stuff and teams are going to score. So if you think about when they're going to score those points, we got a, we have a 48 minute game. So if those points are being scored early and you're getting some things that are, that are early, you know, as that game goes along, obviously that's when you need your defense to be sound. So the things that you give up early, you don't want to give those things up, but the nature of the game is to score the basketball. So when you get into, you know, your late second, your early third, that's when it's important to, to, to make those stops to give yourself a chance to win in the fourth quarter. And I think that that's what these guys have, have been doing is giving themselves a chance, you know, right after halftime to, you know, to, to make a push. I try to take a decent amount of notes throughout these games so that I'm reasonably well prepared when we come in here. And I still have just as many like negative things jotted down where like they, you know, two guys were following Dame around and leaving Gary Trent wide open, you know, like there are just as many of those, but there are at least a few more, Hey, they got a big stop with five minutes to go in that game. Like those were the things I I don't think we didn't see to, to your point is they're kind of, locking in situationally when they have to. And one of the guys that's been really big during that stretch has been Rui Hachimura. Um, and and Bradley Beal said after the Portland win that Rui told us a few practices ago, he can guard one through five and we're holding him to that. And at the beginning of the year, you know, when, when I asked you who needed to step up and be kind of the stopper for this team, uh, Rui was the guy you called out. And, and it seems like he's, he's been doing that. What have you seen from him specifically? I think he's using the tools the guy gave him. He's using the tools and the the length, um, you know, just the the size of the shoulders. He's using all of those things that that he was blessed with. And then you put those things into a game plan, and you put those things into having support from your teammates, and you know, using your length to recover. He is the ideal guy. I mean, he is the guy that you would look for to guard the one through five, especially in today's NBA. So with him taking ownership of that and what we see, you know, just from the eye test, like it really does point at him. And I think it's good for the, you know, for the public to get again, to hear what's going on inside the locker rooms, what's going on inside of those walls. When you have someone that wants to step up to that challenge and you've been struggling, you know, from a defensive standpoint, and then you see a little bit of results from that guy stepping up and having that, that wanting that ownership. I mean, those are things to build on, especially from a team that's trying to figure out where they're going. And then from a young guy like Hachi to say, hey, you know, we got Brad that's going to score the ball. We got Russ, who's a, a ball of energy, you know, up and down the court. Where do I fit in? OK, one through five. You know, let me let me take that on and see what the results are. And I'm I'm glad that he took on that challenge. And, and I saw it, you know, early on. You know, and, and that hasn't come at the expense of his offense either. He scored at least 13 in each of their last four games. Uh, he wasn't great in that Knicks game that they lost. I think he had like 10 still, though. But if you can have him be your third leading scorer and he's somewhere between 13 and 17 and be your best defender, that's suddenly a really valuable, uh, versatile player for you. Yeah, and then you have to have that, you know, that versatile lineup. I mean, you know, he's got going 130 points. So, you know, even if you get 40 from Brad, you get 25 from from Russ, right? I mean, Hachi has to come in, but there's like four or five other guys that, you know, that have to kick in. So you don't have to be a 20-point a other score, right? You can hover in that 10 to 15, but how are you affecting the game, the overall game? And I think that that's, that's what I look at, right? I mean, I look at the, the overall effect, no matter how many points you score. I was a guy that could score points, but I love to play defense a lot more than than what people thought because of, you know, how you can take people's hearts uh, on that side of the ball. Uh, yeah, they could use a, a guy like you right now, too, that could defend, score, facilitate. I mean, that that's sort of what I think this roster has been lacking for the most part. So it's glad, you know, I'm glad to see Rui step up and take the challenge there a little bit. One of the other things Brad mentioned is that both teammates and well, Russ in particular, but the coaching staff as well, you know, have really challenged Burton specifically that, hey, man, we get you're not making shots, but you have to find a way to do something else. And you've seen him have a couple, you know, seven, eight rebound games, again, block shots over the last couple games. Like, I can't remember seeing that previously. So, and then you saw the offense come around and I guess the Houston game, right, where he had he hit 35 points. So maybe he's starting to click and, and get his footing under him. What have you noticed from, from Bertans? 
uh, that he's getting better shots, you know, that he's taking the shots that he can step into versus that pivot shot where he has to whip his hips around and get a good shot off or get a good look. I mean, guys are putting pressure on him like like no other to get him off of the three-point line. But anytime you can step into your shot, I mean, especially a guy that shoots the ball like that, 70% of the time that, that shot is going in. I mean, that, that's really high to say, but I mean, when he shoot, even when he misses a shot that he steps into, it, it looks good. So I think that that's what they should focus on more is getting more shots where he can actually step into that shot. And if, when you're making shots, it's going to make you play harder on the defensive end. It's going to have you more engaged. You're not so ultra focused on yourself uh, and, and what you're out there trying to accomplish. You can really dig into the team. So when you can get shots in rhythm, you know, get the shots that you like, get the shots from the distance that you like, um, it just engages you more to not have to focus on what you're doing wrong, you know, from an offensive standpoint and just really play the game. And these guys are high-level players, so anytime they can get outside of themselves and just play the game, they're going to do some good things. So far this podcast, we've already talked about Beal kind of putting pressure on Rui to, to you know, to walk the walk. You know, the Westbrook specifically holding Bertans accountable and Brooks said that sometimes the Wizards' younger players specifically don't understand why Westbrook is so hard on them, uh, but they'll be better off because of it in the long run. And Beal also said that Westbrook and uh, has you know had that sort of impact on him and making sure he's consistent from start to finish. Now, we talked a lot last week about how somebody other than Brad had to be the one to kind of push these guys. And, and we had pointed to Ish and, and Robin and things like that, but it sounds like Westbrook's at least taking a lot of that on. Do you think that really like makes a major difference for these guys, Larry, to have somebody in their ear all the time? I think so. It's it just a balance. I think it's just the balance of, you know, doing your work versus talking about your work. And everyone can follow results, you know, right? If you're scoring a lot of points or doing a lot of things, people can follow that. Uh, but there's, I think there's more in depth of, of who's going to follow you as, as, a, as a person or as a player, thinking that you can help them get better. Uh, where they're not necessarily following your results. So if Russ is not making shots, he's not playing well on the offensive end, he, I think he's still a voice that's going to always be there and be present. And no matter if he's struggling or not, he holds himself and he holds the game to a certain standard where uh, if you're riding alongside of him, he's not a, a tough guy to say, okay, let's go, let's try to do this because mm-hmm. – it doesn't seem like he has much, he doesn't have much give in him. Like he's not going to give up. So when you're talking about the young players and they haven't seen as much as Russ has seen, they haven't, you know, some of these guys have only been in one organization, so they don't know anything or how things run. But I think we talk about a guy like Russ, who is going to give everything that he has no matter what, and, you know, not necessarily be concerned with what the outside world is saying. That's a guy that, that your young guys in your locker room, they will follow no matter if, if he is playing at the highest level or not, because I think that he, what comes out of him is, is, is something that you really can't teach. And I think a lot of players gravitate towards that because they want to figure out, you know, how do we, you know, how do we get that may not be the offensive side that they want to get, but just that intensity that he brings to the, to the table, every game, young players want to figure out how to, how to do that. I've got a buddy that always says, point the thumb and not the finger. And and every time you hear Russ in post game, it's here's what I did wrong. You know, here's how I hurt us. I have yet to hear like, Hey, those guys didn't guard. Like that's the shit. I think you just got to get away from that. We've heard so much from, uh, you know, in, in out of that locker room in the last, I don't know, almost decade. So uh, that's been cool to see Larry Brooks also made another comment about how They've, quote, changed some, some things up defensively lately, but he didn't want to say what they were. From just sort of a technical standpoint, ha- have you noticed, is there more zone? Is there, now we're only switching one through four as opposed to one through five? Any of those kinds of things that that you've seen? No, I, I think they're gradually getting better. I think they're spending more time together. I think their communication is probably, you know, gradually getting better. Uh, but there's, there's nothing that has a switch has flipped, right? There's, they haven't gone from bad to great. They're just kind of inching up to, to be in the spots that they're supposed to be in, especially on defense, because I think that that is a, something that they can focus on. And it, it has been more effort. And I think it's been a little bit of, of smarter uh, effort. I like the, the insertion of, of, of Wagner. I like what, you know, I like what he brings to the table. 
and maybe he gave them a little bit of kickstart as far as the intensity that you have to play on the defensive end. Um, but that's that's really where where it starts at for me. Yeah, they're they're four zero with that sort of revised lineup. So most of this, I think, is just like you said, gelling better, just executing better on what they were doing before. But I mean, maybe Brooks calling them out for not the video games thing helped. I don't know. Maybe guys are spending more time in the film room now that he put them on blast publicly. I mean, do you think things like that, like from a meter perspective, those are things like I would point to. Do you think there's anything to that? I don't. I mean, I think that there's an awareness. So I would I won't I won't say that I don't, because I think that even if someone doesn't acknowledge what they heard, they are aware of it. So if you're aware that your coach says something that it's probably you doing, then, you know, there's a reason why he knows that. So you're probably going to take a step back from doing whatever that uh, whatever that action is. But I think that the accountability is is a huge factor. The leadership is a huge factor but also the time spent together. You can't account for that. Uh, The time that they can spend, you know, in the practice gym, the time they can spend in the locker room, the time they can spend in sort of a team sort of bonding, sort of communication uh, deal is is probably probably been better than it was, you know, a few weeks ago with with all of the protocols and all the things going on. Uh, So I would kind of point towards that as it seems like they've become more of a, of a, of a unit and kind of playing off each other a, a little bit better and working on, you know, what the lineups look like as well. It was a couple games ago. They mentioned this stat on the broadcast, so it, it might be slightly outdated, but they said the wizards had 17 different lineups, which was tied for the most uh, with Brooklyn in, in the entire league. But you've seen less of that recently. Is that just them finally settling on a group that works or just saying like, Hey, we're going to stick with this group and give them time to gel. Maybe both. I think it's a little bit of both. Uh, because we've all we all now understand that the health concerns for you know coming out of COVID and you know your fitness level and how it affects your fitness level and the expectation that you're going to go in and play 30 minutes, but coming out of this situation, like you don't know if that 30 minutes is really 18, um, if a guy can sustain you know his level of of aggression or his level of, of fitness. How are they were they really able to sustain that? And these are the things that like we don't know. So the coaching staff, they know if a guy can only play X amount of minutes and we're yeah. wondering why that guy's not in the game or, you know, what's going on. So I think it's a, it's a combination of this, this crazy world that we're in right now of not necessarily knowing. Uh, but what you can look to is that they're playing better basketball. Right? I mean, they're, they're playing better basketball and now they're saying all the right things that lead to them trying to win more games it's not uh i don't know or you know i don't know if this guy's going to play or i don't know what happened why this guy didn't get into the game that kind of stuff has kind of died off now so now we're just really talking about you know going into the next game finding out what the matchup is and you know seeing who shows up i've seen less criticism from fans of scott brooks over the last week and a half and Obviously, the winning helps, but I think just going along what you just said, the things that are happening on the court from a decision standpoint are like more easily understandable. Mm-hmm. Uh, if someone plays bad, they come out of the game. If someone plays good, they tend to stay in. And, you know, everybody's got slightly different views. Like the other night, uh, Robin Lopez, I thought was great defensively uh, in the Portland game. And you see people compliment him for that. But then you see him miss like three or four kind of give me layups. And the other group is like, Robin Lopez is terrible. So it's, Again, I, I keep hating on Robin Lopez, but just, you know, the coaching staff can at least point to, hey, he gave us a spark defensively. He stayed out there. Len wasn't a good matchup. He didn't stay out there. And I think people will like kind of give you the benefit of the doubt, if at least makes sense to them. I, I really think that that is true. And we really put a, a emphasis on how is this guy going to help us win, right? How is this guy going to help us win? If, if we jump down his throat for missing a few bunnies, Right. But ultimately, that's not what he's here. That's not he's going to help us win. He's going to help us win on the defensive end, taking up that space. And if he's doing that, then we have offensive players that, you know, we're going to push the bill to if a guy like Robin Lopez can't finish those, you know, finish those shots or shoot those 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 layups. But I think that how a guy is going to affect the game, that's how you determine who's going to be out there in the court, no matter you know, if it's a defensive player that's not playing well on offense or if it's an offensive player that's not playing well on defense, they have to, you know, you have to have a huge advantage on one of those sides to make it, you know, make it make sense. 
Yeah, Mo is going to help you win by bringing energy, being active. If he's flat some game, then then that's a reason to put him on the bench. So I, I, I'm totally with you. The beginning of that Portland game, the first five minutes, I was like, oh, shit, this the streak's coming to an end here. Like, they did not look good. They got down early. You know, Westbrook had like a shacked in the full moment where he threw the ball in like the fourth row. Uh, and then he really came on the rest of that game. And you had said last podcast, like, this guy needs to be kicking it out the shooters more, especially when he's out there without Beal and like really kind of, you know, forcing the issue to get these other guys going and get them involved. And I felt like he really did that, especially did it in the Houston game. We did it in the Portland game. Uh, have you seen a change in his style of play from now versus the beginning of the season? Uh, yeah, I think he's, he's probably getting a little bit healthier, you know, as, as the rest of the team is. And, you know, as, as far as to, you know, Russ and understanding and dissecting the game, like he's an MVP. Like he's a, a high level uh, player, an elite level player that I'm sure if you bring things to his attention and you sit down and you go over scenarios, he's going to be great. Right? He's going to be great. He's going to take what he sees in the film and he's going to have the the ability to apply that on the court. So I don't know if they've been watching film and into that, you know, into that light as far as to once he gets down uh, in the post work, even though he's, he's more times than not, he's going to have a smaller defender on Russ is, I don't know, six, four, six, five with huge shoulders. So every time that he gets the ball and turns his back, he's going to feel like he has a mismatch, but we don't know if, if they're watching film and then he's going to play, we can see that there's a little bit of results, but we don't necessarily know what all goes into that process. But if I'm betting on Russ, I'm saying that he's going to watch and figure out how he can be better uh, for the team, you know, in the, in the games to come. So you will see, you know, you will see him get better. And I think he's gotten better. You know, Larry, you played some point guard as well, like, or at least, you know, primary uh, initiator. Um, How much harder is that for that role to come into a team and have to learn new personnel who can do what, who likes the ball where, you know, maybe feeding Burton so he has a left-hand layup isn't a good move in particular. Like, it just seems like that's the toughest position to maybe come or maybe center to, but to have to come in and learn all these new guys, especially in a year where you don't have the practice time. I, th- I think that that's the toughest part. Normally, it wouldn't be as tough because as a facilitator, you understand the angles better than the offensive player understands those angles so you're actually throwing those guys into open shots mm. uh, into open layups uh, just having an understanding if he's a a guy that's going to shoot it from 22 feet or he's a guy that's going to shoot it from 26 feet I mean you're going to you know have that understanding of where this guy can shoot the basketball from but it it it's probably more difficult now because they they haven't had the time to to really practice and, and really be together. I mean, I think Russ would have some understanding of where these guys like the basketball, but they're in a totally different situation. Like this is this is uh, guys that are doing a, a few different things. The guys that that have come from a you know a couple different teams, uh, and, and probably had a, a little different role. But normally, if you're a point guard, right, if you're coming in to facilitate it and, and make the action happen, you learn very quickly on. Uh, where guys like the basketball, if they like it in their pocket, if they like the ball seamed up, if they shoot the ball, you know, off off seams. I mean, you you pick up on all that stuff pretty quickly. Do you have talks with guys about that too? Like, is it, hey, if you're here, should I put it there? Or is it just you kind of get a feel for it? Yeah, I mean, if, if I'm working with Brad, I'm asking, like, do you want, you know, when you're catching that swing pass, do you want your left hand to touch the ball first? You want your right hand to touch the ball first? I mean, which side of the body do you want your, your basketball placed? So I'm finding out all these things. If, if we're on a break and we got an 18-foot shot, do you want a chest pass? you want a bounce pass that you can step into? Like, we're going to have these conversations so I know exactly what, you know, what you're comfortable with doing. That's pretty cool. I, I don't think any of us think about stuff like that uh, as it's going on. I want to ask you about one sequence in particular at the end of the Denver game. Uh, they're up three with a couple seconds. Uh, they don't foul, and you have Neto guarding the ball, and Bertans is also out there. Mind you, you have, you're coming off a timeout, so you had a chance to set the personnel you want out there for the last play. Uh, and then you have Rui, who is giving Jamal Murray pretty good a pretty good amount of space to tie that game. And when Brooks was asked after the game why they didn't foul, 
He said they kept trying to do it in practices and games, uh, but they'd messed it up a couple times. I want to say at the end of Miami game in particular, they, they kind of blew that. Uh, and he said, if you can't get it right in practice, you know, we're not going to roll that out in the game. That seems like a pretty straightforward one to me to be able to foul without fouling while shooting if you're an NBA team. And if you're not getting it right in practice, wouldn't you keep working on that shit until you do? Like, that seems like a pretty important one to be in sync on. Yeah, I don't know why that's so tough to execute on. One, because you have the rules that are set now. If they're not necessarily in the shooting motion or in the gather or something of that nature, then it's not a shooting foul anyway. So the rules have changed uh, even from when I played is like if you touch the guy on doing anything and he picked the basketball up, he was shooting those those shots. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was getting the two shots or the three shots uh, from the free throw line. But I think I, I heard it the other night as, as and Drew was right. Drew was right. You, you, you got a foul. I, I was listening to the game. I mean, you know, you're you're struggling, and I mean, you pretty much had the ability to make it a free throw contest. Which you know, get the ball to Brad, he's pretty automatic. You know, from the free throw line, and you walk away with the game. But I think when you look at, or I, I heard on the downward dribble is that's when you should foul, right? So that player is whatever he's doing. As soon as he goes on the downward dribble, you foul. There's no way that the ref is going to give them you know, two shots, three shots, whatever the case may be, but it's on the downward dribble. So if I'm communicating that to my my team, whether it's in practice, whether it, whatever the situation is, that's how I'm explaining it. So if you if a guy's going to put the basketball down on the floor on the downward dribble, we foul. And I don't I don't know why that would be so difficult to to practice or to teach or to communicate. Um, but yeah, that's a, a situation where you want to foul, especially against, you know, a, a Denver team and a guy that's make always makes tough shots. Got a little bit of home cooking, got a little bit of home cooking with that foul on Bertans, you know, and so it worked out in our favor, but you know, that, that could have been a bad one. You've got Murray moving away from the basket with his back turned to the basket to get the ball. I was like, this should be the easiest situation you'll have to foul a guy. And the fact that they didn't even try is is just still, I can't really get past that one. I to talk about our newest sponsor, eBay. Whether rare dead stock or their latest release, find the exact shoe you're looking for. As the original sneaker marketplace, eBay is the place to go to cop the pair you've been eyeing. With eBay's authenticity guarantee, your sneakers are meticulously inspected by independent professional authenticators. A team of experienced sneaker authenticators verify the box, logo, stitching, and dozens of other inspection points. Each sneaker also receives an authenticity guarantee tag that includes a digital stamp of authenticity and also protects sellers with a verified return process. And for sneaker sellers out there, eBay has eliminated selling fees on sneakers over $100, making it free to flip or sell your collection. Go to ebay.com sneakers today. eBay, the world's best destination for discovering great value and unique selection. Uh, just sort of moving on. Um, you also mentioned last podcast that you'd like to see a little bit more Beal as the primary ball handler when Russ is out and versus Houston. We saw that a good amount, uh, versus Portland. We saw that a good amount. So they were pretty successful in those stretches. I felt like, um, so another victory lap for, for Larry Hughes, the analyst. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, he, he applies so much pressure Uh, and his threat. I mean, his ability to get to spots now off the dribble. And it, the all the eyeballs are going to be on him. So, I mean, that's the easiest time to – even if Brad's not a point guard, if he doesn't know all the ins and outs and angles of, you know, making those passes, making those plays, he creates so much pressure that they're opening up passing lanes for him because they have to be so aggressive on him with anything that he does. So I think that that's a really good, a really good move for him. Also want to throw out congrats to Bradley Beal on being named an all-star starter. You know, last year, I obviously thought he should have been an all-star, but they went very hard in on the, your team has to be winning. Mm-hmm. This year, especially in the East, there are a lot of teams with losing records, so you can't really lean on that. And it feels like, you know, people are sort of agreed collectively that that was a mess up last year and, and to make him a starter is great. But there are certain players where you think this guy scores 30 and he's the empty points, you know, or bad, you know, good stats, bad team guy. I don't think that with Brad, like, I think whatever he's doing, he could do on almost any team in the league. Am am I crazy to think that 
this would be translatable to most situations. Maybe not 35 a game, but you know what I mean? Like, No, I, I think he's an elite scorer. He's an elite scorer uh, with an elite jump shot, and now he has added putting the ball on the floor and off the bounce and making plays to his game. So he's added something every year. Now, when Brad came out, we just we knew Brad could shoot the basketball, right? We knew it one step over half court. I mean, I'm talking high school days. Like, he could fill that thing up. And now he's added the ability to put the ball on the floor. And with our rules today in the game of defenders being at a disadvantage without being able to guide or touch or to, to balance up, right, he is one of those guys. And I agree with you a thousand percent that you drop him into any team in any situation and he's, you know, 25 points, 30, 30 points easy. Next couple games coming up, they obviously play the Lakers tonight who are without Anthony Davis. LeBron's a little nicked up, I think, too. You know, he's like his lowest PER in a, a decade or whatever. And the Clippers Tuesday night, Denver Thursday night. Minnesota, who's obviously struggling on Saturday, although they do have Towns back now. And then Boston again on Sunday. Not to get into game specifics, Larry, but no matter who the teams are, how tough is it to play five games in seven days? That's tough. That That is tough. I mean, I looked at that schedule um, a couple of days ago. It's like, hey, this is like early 2000s, like those four and five nights sort of, sort of deals. Uh, but five and seven is very tough. Uh, it, it's very tough. And when you talk about uh, the amount of energy that those two guys, I mean, the, lead, the leaders of that team, the amount of energy that they spend and with you not knowing if Russ is going to play the first game of back-to-backs or play back-to-backs at all, uh, this is a really tough schedule. And we really want to keep an eye on Brad uh, to make sure that he is, you know, we want to keep Brad in, in, in a good position. So we don't want to run Brad into a, a situation where, you know, you open it up for, for things to happen. I mean, there's a lot of games. He plays a lot of minutes and he's ultra aggressive uh, in each game. So we just want to be mindful of that. And it will be a tough stretch. And the young guys that haven't been playing, you know, like your Troy Browns, your guys of that nature, Bonga, they're probably going to see some action. With five games in seven days, they should see some action. And you should start game planning now on what that looks like to make sure that when you get to game three, game four, you're not just completely done, you know, with nothing in the tank. So let's just use these games to and the, the players to make sure that everybody's healthy through these five games. It's tough. You've got two back-to-backs in there. Like you said, you don't know which ones Russ will play. Uh, Ishmith out six to eight weeks with a quad tear. Uh, like you said, Troy, I, I think this would be the opportunity to give him some playing time and, and see how he kind of works as a, as a backup point guard, it's tough if, if you don't have Westbrook to just say, all right, Neto and Beal, here are only two ball handlers for, for the majority of, of uh, these games. So uh, that'll be interesting to see. Um, Larry, just sort of pivoting a, a little bit here. I had a couple sort of random one hitters for you. I meant to ask you about this the other week, but what did you think about the Shaq Donovan Mitchell situation uh, with Shaq giving him some sort of, I guess, tough love and then Mitchell being on the broadcast later and then Shaq saying like, oh, I only said all those negative things to hype you up. Or Was Shaq out of line there or or do you buy that he was trying to motivate him and stuff? You know what? I don't know if he was trying to motivate him and I wouldn't necessarily say he was out of line. I think that sometimes you need to meet people where they're at. And if I'm Donovan uh, Mitchell, it's probably a different conversation or a different comment of who Shaq is. I mean, that mm-hmm. it wasn't necessary. Uh, it wasn't necessary, especially a guy that's doing the post-game interview, uh, that's played a great game, uh, that's trying to do everything possible to make his team more successful. He understands that it's not a one-person show. I mean, he understands that they have a really good system and really good players in Utah. So uh, the things that he does or the things that he that that he can do on the court is a benefit to to that organization, to that program. So I think it's a different conversation with me. I, I don't think that it, it needed to uh, be broadcasted on, on live TV of what Shaq thought about Donovan Mitchell and if he had the, what it takes or if he doesn't have what it takes. I think that we are all in this thing that we could really find anyone's number. We can really call anyone. 
And those sort of conversations do a lot more through a text message or a quick FaceTime or some sort of personal interaction. We're going to receive that information different. So I think it was totally out of line and, and you know, it's Shaq, man, it's Shaq and the Fool and all of that other stuff. Yeah. So you you kind of expect to get some, some ratings. Yeah. yeah, but you kind of expect some of that and, and you don't know exactly where it's, it's really coming from because he kind of didn't really say that he meant it or... I couldn't really figure out if he was really standing on what he was saying or if he was just kind of saying it as a, a, a kind of a dare on somebody said that he wouldn't say this to Donovan Mitchell uh, to his face or something like that. That's kind of what it felt like, uh, but it, it wasn't really called for. You know, doing this part of it on the media side, you have to be able to say, hey, Westbrook, you got to be more efficient or the turnovers are killing us. It doesn't make you a bad player or whatever. It's just here's the critical evaluation of what I see on the court. I, the only thing I didn't like about that whole exchange, at no point did any of those guys say, here's what I don't think Mitchell has that will prevent him from taking that next step. Uh, if he's a lockdown defender, maybe he could be a superstar. If he's a better facilitator, it was just a, like a bunch of like hyperbole. And, uh, you know, I'm like, oh, you know, he doesn't have it. Like, oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, I mean, he's not 6'10", right. you know what I mean? Like, he's not one of those guys. When when those guys come in and you look up, he's like, he's not one of those guys. He's 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 under there. I mean, he's, what, 6'3", six, maybe? 6'3", six, yeah. maybe? Yeah. So if, if that's part of the it that you need to have is to be this 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 huge figure like a LeBron or or, or Giannis or, you know, or MB, like, if, if that's called the it, right, just, just your stature – then, you know, we have to reevaluate Allen Iverson, John Stockton, uh, Gary Payton. Like, we have to reevaluate, like, what does it really take to be a winner in this league if you're just talking about, like, the eye test? Yeah, I don't know what else the guy can do at this point. I mean, they need him to go out and be a, a block, like a top-tier scorer, and, and he does that most nights. I mean, obviously, he probably wants to improve, but the guy's, what, still, like, 23? I mean... Hey. Exactly, man. That that young man's carrying himself in the right way. He's doing all the right things. He's going out and to compete every night. Uh, has been, you know, everyone that I, I've spoken with, he's a, a humble kid that's that's ready to continue working. He's signed a max deal that hasn't stopped him from being the person who he was was before he signed that deal, before he made it into the league. So if I'm an older player, like that's the kind of stuff that I'm bigging up. Like that's the kind of stuff that I'm supporting. I'm because it's not about it's not all about championships. Like we all want to win a championship, but like acknowledge, like the guys is, is good. I mean, and the guy is good. And I think that you probably have some defenders and some teams uh, that fear what he does. I mean, as a guy of that size and being explosive. So I'm going to stick up for that guy. I don't even know him personally, but I'm going to stick up uh, for him just because of everything that he brings to the table. Yeah. You always hear he's doing it the right way. And, I actually liked that he didn't make a big deal out of it on TV. Like, I think that's kind of what they wanted was to have a, you know, a viral moment. And he was just like, nah, I'm good. Matt, I, I would have gave it to him. I, 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 I would have gave it to him. I, mean, I, I would have gave him that moment because sometimes you need to say what everybody is, is going to think. Right. Mm -hmm. Because I think that a lot of us had that same sort of like, what the heck, what, what was that? You know, after that comment was made or after that segment was over. And then we went to, oh, Donovan Mitchell handled that the right way. So, you know, there's some benefit to that, but I would have I would have gave him a little bit different uh, response to either completely stopping the interview or maybe shot a little bit of something back at Shaq, depending on my mood. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Durant gave those guys a couple weeks ago, like, a, hey, do you even watch the games, like, seriously? And, and kind of dogged the interview, which I actually like, but... Yeah, I mean, you guys get so much hate while you're playing from fans and you know, everybody anyway. I, I, that would probably bother me if it were sort of the older guard, uh, unless it's fair. I mean, if it's fair, it's fair. Like, I don't know. Anyway, moving on to some other public comments. Uh, Draymond Green came out after uh, the Cavaliers said they were going to sit Andre Drummond down, uh, basically after the Pistons said they were going to shut Blake Griffin down. And, and he had a problem with that because, you know, if players can't ask out, why should teams be able to sit a player down and publicly broadcast that they're looking to trade that player? Uh, where do you kind of stand uh, with regard to the comments there? 
Well, you know what? I don't necessarily know the rule as far as a player saying that they want out. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if the player can't say where they want to go or maybe just the specifics of that. But I, I believe a player can can publicly say, I, you know, I want out I I mean, so. without any sort of anything that comes with it. Mm-hmm. I think when players get in trouble is they deny it. And I think it's, it's kind of it's a two way street for me. You know, an organization can do whatever the hell they want to do. Right. If they want to trade a guy, they want to release a guy, they want to whatever they want to do, they can do it. I think we we spoke a little bit ago. Uh, my thought process in my mind is if the Chicago Bulls can not resign Michael Jordan and let him go, release him, whatever you want to call it, then anything in my professional basketball career, can it, it can happen to me. So that's always how I looked at it. But at the same time, if it was a situation where. I wasn't happy with the situation or the direction or just something wasn't sitting well with me, you know, from a character standpoint, uh, being involved with the organization, I was always that guy to raise my hand and like, Hey, I, I need to be moved somewhere else. So I think when we talk about players and our ability to speak up and say what we want, we have to be careful and mindful and understand of, of the number of players that would deny the fact that they've asked to be moved versus, you know, an organization saying, Hey, we're not going to move this guy. We're not going to trade this guy. And we all understand that we're all on the block at even any given time. I mean, there are a few of us NBA guys that are never on the block, but for the most part, we are all on that block. So we understand that. So I'm a little bit conflicted in, in that thought process of the playing field is not equal because I think sometimes that we don't equal the playing field. We don't say exactly what we're feeling and what we want because of the backlash that we may get from fan base or from ownership. But at the end of the day, if you're true to yourself and you understand the reasons why you want to be out of a situation, then you have to speak up. And for the organization, they have a multitude of reasons why they would move on from a player, whether it's salary cap, whether it's direction, uh, whether it's a character issue, uh, whatever the case is, they have a lot of different things that that they would want to move on from a player. And for me, it's like to each his own. And that's really, you know, how I how I look at it and think about it. Do I think it's right that they would have a guy sit on the bench, you know, during a game? Maybe he had that option or maybe he didn't. But if you're not playing and you feel a way about being on the bench in street clothes, don't go sit on the bench. Take whatever fine that you may get or whatever conversation that you may have to have because of why you don't want to sit on the bench, I think is is understandable. And Draymond mentioned about, you know, the mental health of uh, the athletes and how that feels, you know, in, in the public opinion, just to have those sort of questions that you have to answer. That is also true. But think about this. I don't feel comfortable doing something, so I'm not going to do it. And that's how I've always operated and thought about it and not necessarily saying that that's how everyone should do it. But please believe me, if an organization is not comfortable with something, they're going to speak up on it. They're going to say it. So as a player, I think it's important that we do the same thing and then we are strong enough to live with, you know, with whatever the consequence or the results would be from that. Yeah, I think you make a great point too about just, just taking the fine and, and not leaving the locker room. I got to imagine that's something the Players Association can appeal for you and just say like, hey, this is this was kind of bullshit, you know, and you're going to get that money back. So I'm always for like, just don't screw your teammates along the way, like whatever a player wants to do. Like, I didn't like the Harden stuff because I felt like 14 other guys were negatively impacted by the way he handled that. But if you're Drummond and you haven't said anything publicly and they just want to go younger it is kind of a bullshit move. I think 10 minutes before the game to be like, nah, go back and change. Like they had to know that was coming before he got dressed for that game. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what? An organization will do that to a player. Sure. Right. Yeah. I mean, if, if you're a player, you know, if you, you know, you're in the last year of your deal and you know, you're looking to, to, to move on, you're looking to continue your career on and the team decides that, you know, they're going to either tank or they're going to do things that are going to be, you know, more financially suitable for them. Sure. And they put a team around or they, you know, put guys on a team that's not necessarily built to win games. So that's going to, it's the advantage of the organization because now they have these contracts that they can easily move away from. But if you think from a player standpoint, 
we get the most attention when we win. So it it, it goes both ways. If you can speak up on that situation, as far as from a player standpoint of not hurting the team, then you want again, in turn, make sure that your organization is not hurting that player's chances of extending his career uh, because his ability to, to help a team win games as well. Yeah, I, I'm just be fair, you know, like I, I think that's show some professionalism on both sides and some stuff is probably unavoidable, but it just the whole situation did seem a little sketchy. Yeah. All right. Uh, last one I got for you, Larry. Should they play the all-star game? Uh, you know what? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think the acknowledgement is is good, mm-hmm. uh, is, is always good because these guys have, have made tons of sacrifices. They put in a bunch of work. Uh, you still have teams that are, you know, lacking in the number of games played. Uh, so I don't think you could, when we talk about last year, if you talk about a guy not making it is because his team is not winning. That's a tough situation to, to kind of filter through um, this year. And I look at an example like the Boston situation. Like we understand like Boston is a really good team. Um, they were slated to be, you know, really good, you know, this year. And obviously you're in a pandemic when things are happening. You got guys coming in and out. Uh, you got a quick start from them being in the bubble, what have you. But they have two guys on their team that are probably all-stars in a, in a normal year. And with the sketchiness of the games, the amount of games that have been played, I don't think both of those guys, Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum, they're going to make the all-star team. But I do think that they're all-stars within the NBA. So to have an acknowledgement to figure out all the things that go into the all-star game, aside from them playing the all-star game, like the coaches picking the players, you got coaches, guys that have been out with COVID protocols and guys coming in and out. So it's like, we're just picking, maybe they're going to pick the names. I'm not sure. So until with all of that stuff going on and not, you know, being certain on, on how we are putting together, how we're picking our all-stars, I just think the acknowledgement is okay, but to try to put a game together and then add the slam dunk contest and the skills contest, I think it's a bit much. I think it's a bit much when, you know, a lot of these players are really trying to focus on being healthy and those that are on winning teams are trying to focus on staying healthy so they can win. I don't think the all-star game, uh, it's a huge focus. We loved the All-Star game before because there was like four or five days attached to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as far as the All-Star game in itself, I don't think players were necessarily always excited to play in All-Star games. Um, so I think that that was something this year that you probably could have done without the actual game. They've talked about how, well, we'll fly them in on private jets. So they'll bring them in day of, we'll send them home, you know, after it'll be safe. It'll, we'll minimize impact. And it's like, it's not even so much about that. Like, I don't know that doing that is any less safe than any other game that they're playing, but give the, give the guys like a week off, man. Like just, I don't know. You talk about Tatum specifically, and he's talked about the issues he's had post COVID not being able to catch his breath fully. I got to imagine there's a pretty large portion of the league that's still, dealing with that in some way shape or form and, and a lot of these guys that are if you're an all-star you're playing high usage high minutes uh, of anybody you're the ones who could most benefit from hey here's my week to to catch up because the back half is there's going to be a lot more five and seven nights kind of stuff for these teams and that's a lot tougher to do i imagine a game 60 versus game 30 and man i think the nba knows that i think mm-hmm. they know or have an understanding of of what's to come when you talk about you know, rolling into the second half of your season, rolling into the second half of your season with all of these protocols and things that have happened, whether they were to your main stars or, or not, you just, you know, if they're not to your main stars and you're putting extra workload on the main stars because they have to to account for all of the the ins and outs that, you know, the, the, those other players, you know, had, had to account for. And then if it is the main player that's going out, wouldn't you want that main player to get rest knowing that the second half of your season is going to be a situation where you don't have the time to space out or to, to figure out what's the best time to play this game. Like you're going to have to play that game whenever that slot opens. And I think the NBA knows that. And just looking at the wizard schedule of having, you know, five games in seven nights, that is tough. And if you go through, two of those stretches in the second half of your season, 
that could that could wipe you out. Mm-hmm. I mean, that could completely wipe you out, even as a contending team, uh, with all the things that these guys are dealing with. So I just think it's a smart move to to not put it not put that extra strain and then in the miss give, you know, two or three, four days of, of actual, you know, rest recovery and rehab time, knowing that the second half of the season is going to be, it's going to be tough. It's, it's going to be tough. You're going to have games that are going to roll over and, and back-to-backs are going to be really common, I think, in the second half of the season. Yeah, at the very least, like make contingencies for that. Be willing to push out the end date of the season rather than jam games in. Maybe we stretch things out a week or two. And I haven't heard if they're willing to do that or not, but playoff-wise, I'd imagine probably not. So so that would be at least some way to kind of mitigate that. Good comment, partner. I, I hadn't thought about that one as extending the actual regular season date. And I think that things will, obviously, with all the other stuff, the sports that are going on and TV stuff that's going on, you have to figure that out. But I think that that's a good a good point you bring up. Yeah, at least meet the players halfway. All about the 50-50, apparently. Um, all right, partner, that is uh, this week's Believe in Wizards. Everybody rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. Send us your comments. We'll, uh, we'll try to line some guests up here for you and, and bring you some, some good content. Hopefully we have a few more wins to talk about next week. That's it, man. Shout out to Wizards. You can only win the games that you can win. You only play the games. You play the games to win. I mean, that's the actual... You know, that's the thought process. So got teams are coming in injured. They're coming in off back-to-backs. You'll have your chance to take advantage of that. But no, you know, as the season goes on, you know, you're going to be on the the other side of that. So you got to win as many games you can right now, especially during this this, this stretch going into All-Star. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.